Welcome to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. This is a very special Team Corker podcast, as I, Steph Corker, have the privilege of getting our very own Steph Sia, our digital content strategist, on the other side of the mic to talk about the and in her life. When we met Steph Sia, it was in the midst of the pandemic, and she came on board to support Team Corker with our e-learning platform and creating digital content. Very quickly, we learned that and in Stefsia involves 7 a.m. bar class, online creation during the day. It involves pole dancing classes and instructing. It involves stripping. It involves creating YouTube videos about their love of food. And I just think and is the future. What a beautiful way to live. And the reality also is there are so many unknowns for many of us in the world of sex workers and how they're treated and their lives. And I was so in awe of how Steph was able to move her body, how open she was about sharing all of herself. And I said, can you come on the podcast and tell us about one slice of your and? So I hope that you listen to this episode with an open mind, with a huge heart, and be, you know, here to challenge perhaps old beliefs or ingrained patterns from generations. This millennial has a lot to teach us. Welcome, Steph Sia. Hi, Steph. Hi. <laughs> I feel like you're usually on the other side of the mic asking questions and educating. So I feel really honored that I get you off of your mic and onto our mic today. I feel the same way I feel. This is a little bit bizarre, but I'm just going to roll with it. (laughs) Well, the Corker Co. has a core belief that says, and is the future. And when I met you, I thought I am seeing and in human form before my very eyes, because we started to work together in the world of a contract that was digital content and I quickly realized that there are so many facets to your andness, and it went far beyond digital content. And you know, you're at bar at 7 a.m. Then you work with us in the day. You can do more on a pole than I can do on the ground. You're dancing. You're making noodles. We will have all of these links in the show notes so people know <laughs> how to find all of your andness. And I really want to talk about the life of a stripper. And I think that your advocacy for sex workers is so important and it feels like the most important conversation that we could possibly have. Not that your noodles aren't important. (laughs) They're equally important, but also educating people about sex work is also very, very important and a conversation that needs to be had. Absolutely. So you said that, you know, nothing's off the table. We're going to talk about it all. And if we may, can I talk about like, or ask rather where it began for you when you were a little girl did you think when I grow up I want to be a stripper or how did you get introduced to this world 
Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of had an exhibitionist-like quality, I feel. I really like to showcase myself and, I guess, just my many talents. And it started off, I guess, yeah, when I was younger and I liked to perform. I didn't really have any avenues to do that. I was in sports all my life, so I did wrestling and cheerleading. And then I found pole dancing when I was working in Gastown and I was on my lunch break and wanted to try out pole dancing and it was something that I always wanted to do but as a student I was too poor to afford it and then I was like I'm just gonna give it a try and see what happens and it was supposed to be a low intensity workout I walked into the class they're like heels required I'm in my little kitten office heels and then I I walked in and then there were women in eight inch like heels they're now called pleasers I know this now and just wearing like very very minimal clothing and I'm just like what am I walking myself into what is this but then I loved it I never looked back and then now I am here I am six years later competing and also working in the field and working as a stripper oh my gosh so it began as a pole dancer we'll make sure that your link to follow you on the gram is below because if you want to know how to do push-ups on a pole you follow (laughs) Steph when you walked in I mean did you find pole dancing as the athlete in you, was it easy? Was it something that you could pick up easily? Oh my gosh. No, it was hard. And I considered myself like decently fit. I was okay. Like I was, I do quite a bit of varied workouts, like bar and yoga and just a lot of stuff. So I was like, okay, I'm a natural (laughs) quote unquote athlete. And it's just a whole different set of muscles that you have to engage and stimulate. Like I didn't get it for the first, actually first few months. And I actually hated it because I was like, this is too easy. I don't understand what people are doing. And then when I started to really tap into those muscles, I'm like, oh my God, why is my entire body sore? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, it was hard (laughs) and it still is hard. Gosh. Okay. And now no assumptions. I mean, I need permission to ask all of the stupid questions because I just don't know that do most pole dancers strip or is it like, is that how you came to find the world of stripping is through pole dancing? Oh my gosh. There's a huge divide between pole dancers and strippers. There are a lot of pole hobbyists or pole athletes that would like, or try to separate the exotic quote unquote side or the sexy side of stripping and pole dancing. But the origins is that that's where it started. Pole dancing has roots in stripping and there's a lot of denial behind that. So it's becoming quite apparent in a lot of the conversations that we're having nowadays to try to give strippers more opportunities like in pole studios to give them more opportunities over pole hobbyists. Mm -hmm. So that's another big topic as well. There's, there's a lot of quarrel between the two worlds. Unfortunately, I'm both. And I feel I was always drawn to strip clubs. I thought it was always kind of something that's really, really interesting. I admired the athleticism that these dancers put on stage. But at the same time, I need to like learn about pole dancing. I need to learn and master that skill. And that's not something you could just learn on stage. I mean, you can, but it's, it definitely helps if you have classes. Right. Technique. Yeah. Now, can you be a stripper and not a pole dancer? Oh yeah, definitely. Actually, (laughs) 
you there, there are a number of my colleagues that you know have never taken a pole dancing class they're all self-taught and they're amazing amazing on the stage and it's not about the pole tricks believe it or not like I have performed crazy pole tricks on stage and I don't get one applause not one shout or hoots or anything and then when I'm on the floor like shaking my butt everyone's like, wow, that was so hot. And I'm just like, I didn't even do anything. So it's more about like your stage presence, your personality on stage that really sells you, not about the pole dancing skills, quote unquote. Got it. Okay. I want to dive into, and this is where it began, like, you know, are all pole dancers strippers? What are the other questions or myths, the common myths that we really need to bust. And I appreciate and love so much that you are now spending part of your life to devote to the education of de-stigmatizing and demystifying the work of sex workers. And when I said, you know, who do you need to educate? You're like you, people like you, Steph Corker. So (laughs) can you share a few areas that you think maybe it's like the top three areas that really require demystifying or destigmatizing? For sure. Yeah, I could definitely think about this. I don't even really need to think about it, actually. But uh, I guess number one is that all sex workers need to be saved from the job. You know, I get a comment like, oh, what's a pretty girl like you doing in the club? I'm sure you can get a job outside of this atmosphere. And a lot of the times we choose to be there. We fully consent to this work because sex work is real work. So that's definitely a big, big myth like you don't need to save us (laughs) we want to be there we fully really really want to be there we love our jobs Um, another thing is we are all high or abusing some kind of substance we're alcoholic we use drugs I don't (laughs) do that and usually when I'm dancing I don't even drink alcohol a lot of my colleagues are stick sober even in their regular life they don't even like for me I like to drink on a day off and stuff like that but like a lot of them have not touched anything in forever. Mm. And I feel like that is a huge, huge misconception. Mm. And another one, I guess the last one, it kind of ties into the first, but yeah, I guess a lot of us and with the laws that are in Canada and the States and everywhere else, we get grouped into, I guess, coercion and, and exploitation. And again, we're not being exploited, mm. but a lot of the time, like, people will think that we are forced into this line of work when we are not. Mm. And that assumption that we are all coerced in this kind of situation. And I'm not trying to downplay that at all. There are obviously situations where individuals are, but then at that point, it's not sex work anymore. It's Mm. it's exploitation. Mm. So I feel like when people and especially lawmakers, when they try to group us all together into one, it's dangerous because you're just making huge assumptions and, it causes us to go further underground. Mm. Yeah. You know, and especially when it comes to different forms of sex work, not specifically stripping, but when we're talking about full service sex work, Mm -hmm. you know, people can't advertise, people can't live off the means of their avails Mm. and it makes it really, really complicated. So. Right. Interesting. I want to know if there's any trauma associated with sex work or does it come from a I mean one of the myths in a similar fashion is that like there's been some form of trauma or like desensitization 
for you. And I can only imagine that it's a myth. And I, I really love and respect that, you know, you have a partner and you have so many facets to your life and just one facet to your life is this. So tell me about the myth that it is rooted in trauma. Yeah, that was, that's a big one too. I would say generally speaking, and then again, for those of us who are consenting for this type of work, it's generally a myth, but there are a lot of things that are are rooted in sex work, like colonization, racism, classism, when you loop in gender and like able-bodiedness, there are a lot of other layers that get kind of tangled up with things. Like for me as an Asian woman, fetishization is a huge thing. I get a lot of comments about, oh, or are you from the Philippines? Oh, I used to date someone from the Philippines and they're X, Y, and Z, and they're like this. And just a lot of that kind of stuff, as well as some of my indigenous dancer friends as well, like they are struggling through a lot of their roots and colonization and how that's affecting them. So in that kind of sense, I feel like there is trauma that is being rooted in, but I don't think that the two are linked. Like I don't think trauma and sex work are linked, even though that is what the media and society will often try to place as like the narrative when that is not the case. Not the case. Yeah. One of the many things that I adore about you is both your ability to multitask and take care of so many things, including yourself. So I want to talk about your self-love and also your openness. Right from the first day, there was no judgment. There was no... It felt like no judgment on yourself or on anyone else. And you're like, I'm an open book. Let's talk about all of this. And so I want to start there. And I'm curious if you've always been so open to other people and to like exploring all of these things about yourself. Oh my gosh. I honestly grew up really, really shy. No, (laughs) I don't believe it. (laughs) Believe it or not. Seriously. I was the shyest kid. I was one of those people that my teacher said, you know, she can try to speak up a little bit more in class. (laughs) I was really, really shy. And I feel like I only started to become more curious, I guess, in high school when I discovered boys. I was like, ooh, this is exciting. (laughs) And then also once I graduated high school and uh, moved into university, I was really trying to embark on the journey of finding myself and finding out who I was. At that time, and I think it was actually the end of high school when I started blogging, And I started journaling and that to me was a really, really great way to learn about myself because I'd read my old journal entries. Even today, I read back in them and I just laugh. But it's also like, I remember what I was going through when, you know, this happened on like May 20th of 2005. Like (laughs) It's been a really, really big learning experience, but I feel I really started to own things when I started to write and publish like my blog posts online and publicly. And when people started to really read about uh, my experiences, whatever was going on in my life, it was really vulnerable for me. It felt also relieving at the same time to just like let it all out there. Mm -hmm. And now I kind of do the same thing in terms of like, my whole life is kind of on display and maybe that's a millennial thing, but (laughs) you know, we see what we're doing every day, what we're eating, like what classes we're going to. And I think it's just something that's just ingrained in me and also the millennial way of living. Yeah. And a whole other topic. (laughs) 
whole other topic. Absolutely. Well, I want to riff on the millennial way because one of my questions was around the generations and how it does feel like different generations also bring with them perhaps different stigmas or, you know, the generation of we just won't talk about this and we won't talk about these things. And I'm wondering what your experience has been as it relates to different generations in the field of sex work. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Like we are so open nowadays, even when it comes to putting my real name out there and not using my stage name, things like that, you know, that's something you never really did. And I'm finding it's like a trend that more people are doing in sex work and allowing people into, Hey, like this is who I am and come follow me on Instagram. And like a lot of my sex worker friends have huge followings, huge, huge followings. And it's really interesting because people really, really want to see what their personality and who they are. As I said earlier, that's what sells, right? But it's really cool and also challenging too, especially when you're dealing with older generations, like say talking with my mom about certain things. And like, for example, I'm, I'm doing a video on something and she's like, why is your bedroom door open? You, everyone can see your bedroom. And that was seen as like a private area before. But then now I'm like, mom, like that's like a thing of the past. (laughs) We just let everyone into our house. And she's like, don't you think someone's going to rob your house? And like that whole mindset, like, I I don't know if like your parents are like that, but they're, they're like, no, there's a very distinct public and private separation. And now I'm finding like with our millennial generation, that whole, there's like no more line or it's blurred. Right. What was it like when you told your parents that you were going to start stripping? (laughs) I never did. So I never, no, but I, I'm pretty sure my dad knows because my dad's like really savvy and he's, I'm very much like my dad, (laughs) kind of the odd one out of the bunch out of his like siblings and stuff. And I just remember him having a conversation with me when we were down in Mexico city one year for my birthday. And he just told me in a conversation, whatever it is that you do, just know that I'm proud of you. And I knew I had a feeling he just knew what I did. And I'm like, okay, like, thanks, dad. And that was really cool. Cause he's not the type of person to have these like heart to heart conversations at all. And then with my mom, I'm Filipino. So she's Roman Catholic and they're very, 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 very sensitive, very conservative. And she, I'm not sure if she knows fully, even though she's helped like film some videos for me about sex work. And she's like, oh, so that thing about sex work is, is that, you don't do that, do you? Mm -hmm. And then I just don't have the heart to fully say like, no, like I, I do do this. Like I, I say that I do aspects of it, but I'm not sure what kind of understanding she has of what sex work is. Cause when she thinks sex work, she's like, oh, like prostitutes. Thing that comes to mind. So even language, I'm having to really go slowly with my mom and to help define and educate her on these issues. So yeah, beautiful. <laughs> I mean, prostitutes, what is the difference or the delineation for you or for the language as it relates to what is prostitution versus what is sex work? Or is prostitution a form of sex work? Prostitution is a form of sex work. So there's so many different kinds of sex work out there. And there's prostitution or full service sex work. There's also escorting, which is also in the loop with that. I mean, there's also digital content creation, which is something I also do as well. Like websites like OnlyFans or like making custom videos and stuff. Fetish work, BDSM content, cam girling, pornography, 
stripping. There's so much out there. So sex work is a giant umbrella that if you want to kind of think of it that way, and then prostitution is one part of it. And a lot of people will see that prostitution, they'll think of that as being street level, but there are different delineations between types of prostitution to indoor versus outdoor and whatnot. So it's a huge world. It is a huge, huge world. And the business person in me is like, oh, does the delineation just come with like a different price tag and like different people have access to different forms? But I don't think that is true. It depends on what you do. Really, it does. And there is something called the hierarchy where it's almost like a a pyramid triangle, which I don't really believe in, but there's different kind of tiers in terms of price. But generally speaking, like no camming might be at like five cents per second or whatever the token is. And then stripping, you know, you get paid for your show. And then obviously the tips that you get on stage, there is escorting, different kinds of escorting in terms of like paid dates where you just go for dinner with them. But there's also the aspect too, where you can obviously sleep with your client as well. And there's different tiers of that in terms of like, how long do you want to spend time with this person? So half an hour to an hour, three hours overnight. Is dinner included with that? There's so much. A blowjob, a hand job, even erotic massages too. There's a lot out there. (laughs) And it depends on how you market yourself, your experience in the industry, and also what you value yourself as. Mm. As a sex worker, do you get to determine if you want to spend 30 minutes or three hours with someone? Oh yeah. Like if you're talking about full service sex work or escorting um, or sugaring even, yes, you can definitely, that should be on your, like your rate sheet. Mm. So that's not something that clients can negotiate with. Got it. You have like your boundaries listed there as well. Things that you do not offer as well. It's almost like a menu, I would say. Yeah. And for a stripping, it's structured a bit differently. Got it. Right. I think this is incredible and so insightful. And I can't help but think you are the most creatively entrepreneurial people out there. Like, look at your marketing yourself truly like down to your core. And that's (laughs) amazing. I am curious about how COVID has impacted this line of work because, you know, you hear restaurants are shut down and obviously like bars and clubs are shut down, but what does that mean as it relates to the rest of your world? It's impacted everyone, as you said, restaurants, you know, even the way that we work, we work remotely, you know, there's no office anymore. And it's just crazy. So with sex work, obviously, strip clubs have shut down, only some of them have reopened. So there's very similar protocols, like you would find in restaurants, So there's plexiglass, you have to wear a mask if you're walking around, there's like a whole area that's taped off. in terms of like, when you want to tip the dancer and stuff. A lot of escorts that I know have eliminated kissing, for example, for one of their services, anything that is like exchanging of bodily fluids they don't offer, or they just kind of, they're not seeing any new clients anymore. They're only seeing their regulars whom they've built trust with and rapport with. A lot of people have had to pivot and have had to move their work online. So with things like OnlyFans or many vids or like, the custom content, stuff like that. We've moved online, even like dominatrix work, fetish work. And that's just kind of like what you've had to do. And then some people have just dropped out of the industry as well. So 
Holy smokes. Wow. <laughs> it's been hard. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I want to know, you know, you mentioned bar and yoga and obviously pole dancing, but how do you stay fit to do this? Like, how do you generate stamina for this oh work? Oh gosh. Practice makes perfect. Seriously. For, for stripping specifically, it's a very physical job. You're usually like your show is usually about 15 to 20 minutes. And in a normal non-COVID world, you would have at least three shows a night. And yeah, it, things can get really sweaty. And then in between those shows, you also have to offer private dances as well, which is like one-on-one dances with customers. So it's a very, very, very physical type of job. So keeping up with my exercise and doing all the things that I do, I think cross-training is super, super important. So that's why I do not only pole dancing, but as I said, bar and yoga and other things to help my body and also a lot of rest time as well. Lots of hydration. (laughs) How many nights a week could you work at the club to care for your body? Typically how it works on a non-COVID kind of situation, it would be a week-long booking and a week-long booking is usually five days. So yeah, the club that I used to work at was Tuesday to Saturday and from 9 p.m. till about 2 a.m. So (laughs) your face is- Five nights a week? Five nights a week that we do this. And then during pandemic, the club that I work at now, or I mean- when it was still kind of operating, it's shortened the hours. So it was between seven to 10, which honestly has been kind of nice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Incredible. Now, if you could do nothing else of all the different things you do, if you could only do one of them, what would that one thing be in your life? Oh my gosh, Steph, why do you have to ask me this? That's so hard. (laughs) You literally work every hour of the day. (laughs) honestly it's somewhere in between dancing and cooking okay yeah if I can cook and dance maybe I need to start a YouTube channel on that cooking pole dancing while cooking Um, I equally love them both pole dancing makes keeps me fit and then cooking just nourishes my soul yeah amazing I love that well I was going to ask how do you practice self-love and self-care especially among such a busy schedule And, you know, I know you mentioned hydration and rest. Is there anything else? I feel like it's so relevant for everyone that is in high demand. And especially for you that is literally using your brain and your body constantly. Yeah, it's hard because I'm the type of person that likes to work, work, work all the time. (laughs) And for me, finding time to or making time to write is really therapeutic for me and also just gives me peace of mind and I can write forever but I have to kind of be in the mindset to do it Mm -hmm. but once I get going I just feel great and I just wish I mean I don't wish I can make time to write more so (laughs) wow is there any question that I haven't asked I mean I feel like such a prude that I (laughs) know so much more and I so don't so I appreciate you entertaining me and is there anything that I didn't ask that I should know? Oh gosh. Well, I just want to bring people up to speed in terms of like, there are anti-prostitution laws that are still in effect in Canada. So bill 36 
is a big one that was enacted in 2014. And it affects sex workers because I mentioned earlier, we can't advertise, we can't, this is more specifically towards escorting or prostitution or like street level. But this type of legislation lumps all of us into one bubble, which I mentioned earlier too, just further dives us down into these deep dark corners and takes away our filters, takes away our platforms for advertising. And it makes it really dangerous. And there's actually been a charter challenge just released a couple of weeks ago by the time this is released. And we're hoping that that will bring some change and hopefully abolish this really archaic bill. So that's one thing. And also, I guess just some resources if you want to get involved or want to find out more information. There's many great organizations. Wish Vancouver is great. Swan, Pivot Legal Society, Butterfly and Maggie's Toronto. Those are just a few that I can think of at the top of my head. And I guess, yeah, we'll plug the links in the show notes if you want to further educate yourself on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And our last question always, and I can't wait for your answer, is what is making your heart beat faster? (laughs) Well, two things. Being on this side of the mic is making me nervous. (laughs) So that's making my heart beat faster. And also the Cadbury mini egg cake that I ate just before this is also making my heart beat faster, which is delicious. Where did you procure such a delight? Oh, my friend made it for me. We didn't, we had a cake swap for Easter. (laughs) Hers is much more superior than mine. It's delicious. (laughs) That's awesome. I can't help but ask one more question. And that is, what is it like working at the Corker Co with so many facets to your life? And I mean, I ask this totally wholeheartedly and you're on the mic, so you can be nothing but honest. Um, (laughs) Did it ever feel anything but comfortable to be all of you oh honestly it's been so refreshing to not have to hide anything and just be myself 100 percent yeah it's been so welcoming and so awesome and it's grounding really really grounding and humbling so thank you amazing you know I just wouldn't know and I think that I can barely keep up to you and so you're such a bee that buzzes around and tells us what to do and how quickly to do it or how behind I am and so I just appreciate that so much about you and I would never want anyone to have to hide any part of themselves so thank you for being brave enough to just be all of you thank you (laughs) you're awesome 